You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray as we get into our study of God's Word. Lord, we thank you for your Word and thank you that it speaks to us a true message, a true message that gives us hope beyond the grave, and it gives purpose to our lives here and now. So Lord, give us ears to hear what you have to say to us, and may we hear it, understand it, and respond appropriately. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read to you from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened." This is God's word. Well, the title of today's message is Risen to New Life. Risen to New Life. And here's what we're going to see in our study of this passage today. Jesus' resurrection means that there is hope beyond the grave. And that gives purpose to our lives today. That's our kind of takeaway truth, our one sentence summary. I'd love it if you'd write that down in your notes, take it with you and remember it as you go. And it's also going to form our outline for studying this passage today as well. So let's take that sentence and break it down. Jesus's resurrection. Let's talk about that first. Well, listen, to say that he was having a pretty rough time would be quite the understatement. His life had started out pretty well. He was from a nice family. He went to great schools. And when he started his career, he was immediately successful. He was considered a rising star in his field. He became a prominent leader at a young age. And everything was going great until one day something happened that changed the course of his life forever. That event was not something that he had expected or really even wanted, to be, to be honest. It was a complete surprise. And from one day to the next, because of this thing that happened to him, he began to lose everything he had. Immediately, he lost his job. And along with that, he then lost his friends. Members of his own family disowned him. People became suspicious of him. They began to assume the worst about him. Nobody trusted him. And here's how he describes, in his own words, what his life was like after that event. He says, afflicted in every way, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, given over to death. And yet, if you would have asked him about that event, that one that threw his life off course, that brought so much pain and suffering into his life, 
If you would have asked him about that event, he would have told you that that was the best thing that ever happened to him. If he could go back in time and do it all over again, he wouldn't change a thing because he would tell you that day was the best day of his entire life. How is that possible? Well, that man's name was Paul. He's better known as the Apostle Paul. And prior to becoming a Christian, Paul was wealthy, popular, and successful. But that event that changed the course of his life, that was when he encountered Jesus. Now, of course, he wasn't expecting that to happen because he didn't even believe that that was possible for something like that to happen. Because what Paul knew was that Jesus of Nazareth had died. He had been killed by the Roman government and the Jewish religious leaders. He knew that Jesus died because it was his own compatriots who had put him to death. Jesus' followers, they had claimed that he was the Messiah, the promised Savior, the one whom God had promised to send into the world. But Paul figured certainly that couldn't be the case because, look, he had died. He certainly couldn't be the Messiah. And the Christians, they were claiming that Jesus had risen from the grave on the third day. And there were even reports from many people claiming that they had seen Jesus after his resurrection. But of course, Paul knew that certainly couldn't be true. Because as Paul thought, that's just not how it works. Once you're dead, that's kind of a permanent condition. You don't just come back from that, right? So surely these people must have made up these stories. Maybe they had tricked themselves into believing it in order to make themselves feel better. But of course, it certainly couldn't be true, he thought, because dead people don't come back to life. And Jesus most certainly was dead. I mean, no one could possibly survive what he had experienced, what he had been through, a crucifixion. And then to make sure that he was actually dead, the soldiers had taken a spear and stabbed him through the heart. He had been pronounced dead by a coroner, and they had wrapped his body and placed it in a tomb. What Paul did know was that somehow Jesus' body had gone missing and nobody knew where it was, which had only served to bolster the claims of the Christians who claimed that Jesus had risen from the grave. But certainly Paul figured there must be another explanation because it couldn't be true. But this claim that Jesus had risen from the grave, it only served to embolden the Christians even more. Not only were they claiming that Jesus was the Messiah, they were also claiming that he was in fact God, which to Paul and his friends was an act of blasphemy to claim that a man, Jesus, was actually God. And so Paul, in his zeal for Judaism, he began to persecute Christians. He organized crews of people who would go out and carry out vigilante justice. They would follow these Christians to their secret meetings, and then they'd follow them home so they knew where they lived. And then later on, they would knock on their doors, drag them out of their homes, bring them before makeshift courts and tribunals, and declare them guilty. His goal was to put an end to all of this nonsense of people th saying that Jesus had risen from the grave and that Jesus was God. But then one day, when he was least expecting it, Paul encountered Jesus himself. He had a conversation with him. And as a result of that experience, Paul became convinced that Jesus really had risen from the grave. And that began a process in his life, which was kind of like scales falling from his eyes where he began to see the things which he already knew, and yet he began to see them and understand them as if for the first time ever in his life, for real. He remembered the stories about people in the Bible whom God has raised from the dead. He remembered the predictions of the prophets, like the prophet Isaiah, who predicted that the Messiah, when he came, he would not be immediately embraced. Rather, he would be rejected and even killed by the people. 
But in doing so, he would pay the price for our sins and he would rise again from the grave in victory over death and the devil. And Paul began to wonder, how is it that I never put these pieces together before? How is it that here it was right in front of me in black and white this entire time, but I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. I didn't really understand it until now. And Paul had no other choice but to become one of those people whom he had despised, one of those people who he had persecuted. He actually became a Christian himself because he was convinced that Jesus had indeed risen from the grave, not only because he saw Jesus with his own eyes, but for other reasons as well. For example, all of these people who claimed that Jesus had risen from the grave, what benefit did they derive from that claim? What did they get out of it? Nothing. They just got ridiculed and persecuted. Some of them got killed. And yet, in spite of that, they persisted in saying that they could not deny what they had seen with their own eyes, that Jesus Christ had risen from the grave, and they were eyewitnesses of it. Furthermore, there was just the fact that the grave was indeed empty, and no one could deny it. Additionally, Paul realized that if Jesus had not risen from the grave, then none of the scriptures actually made any sense. And if Jesus had not risen from the grave, there was actually no hope in anything, and life is actually meaningless. But on the other hand, if Jesus did rise from the grave, as the scriptures predicted, then that changes everything. You know, people throughout history have examined the claims of Jesus' resurrection, and they have found, like Paul did, that there's an incredible burden of proof that shows that it actually did take place. But here's the question for you and me today. If Jesus rose from the dead, what difference does it make? What difference does it make for your life and my life today? And the first part of the answer to that question is found in the sentence that I gave you. Jesus' resurrection means that there is hope beyond the grave. Jesus' resurrection means that there's hope beyond the grave. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. He describes his life in this way. He says this, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. Paul was having a rough go of it in life, and yet... In spite of the afflictions, being perplexed, being persecuted, being struck down, he says, and yet there is something which gave him the strength to keep going and not give up, even in the face of these things. What was it? Paul tells us what it was. What was this hope that gave him the strength to keep going? He tells us in verse 14 of that same chapter, he says, here's what it is. Because I know that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. And then he says in verse 16, therefore, because of this, we do not lose heart. What was it that kept Paul from losing heart in the midst of the trials and difficulties that he was facing in life? It was the knowledge that Jesus had risen from the grave. And because that was true, he could be sure that God would one day raise him up to new life as well when this life is over. Paul had a hope that went, that extended beyond the grave, and that made all the difference. Friends, why do you need a hope that extends beyond the grave? Here's why. Because as Paul says in verse 16, our outer self is wasting away. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not as young as I used to be, right? Maybe you too. And I don't know if you've seen the statistics on death, but they're not very encouraging. Somewhere around like 10 out of 10 people die. I'm not good at math, but I think that's around 100%. 
Your life has an expiration date. That's a fact. From the moment you're born, the clock starts ticking. It's just a matter of time before time runs out, and you don't know how much time is left on that clock. You never do. None of us does. It's not a question of if you will die. It's a question of when you will die. But that brings up another question. Is that all that life is? Is life basically just trying to keep yourself busy until you die? Is that what this is that we're doing? And look at what he says in verse 17. Not only is life, you know, just basically keeping yourself busy until you die, but look at what he says. In this life, we have afflictions. So not only are you going to die, but until you die, your life's going to be hard. Your life's going to be full of afflictions and trials and hardships. And that brings up the question, is that all that life is? Just a series of hardships with a couple smiles inserted between, and then you die? Life is hard, and then you die? Is that all this is? And if it is, is it even worth living? That is the question that Paul honestly asked, and it's a fair question. Paul said, look, if that's all that life is, just hardships, and then you die, then you know what? Life is pointless. If we hope in this life only, he said, then we are of most, of all people, we are the most to be pitied. But look at what Paul says there in verse 16. But we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Paul is saying there is a difference, a distinction between your outer self and your inner self. And then in verse 18, he says, we do not look to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What does that mean? Paul's pointing out that there's a difference between the physical, which is seen, and the spiritual, which is unseen. Both the physical and the spiritual are real, but the physical is temporary, whereas the spiritual is eternal. And what that means is that even if your physical body dies, you have a spirit that will go on living. And what Jesus' resurrection means for us is that because he conquered death and defeated the grave, you can be born again to new life that will last forever. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 11. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. What that means is that this life is not all there is. I like how George Herbert put it. Listen to what he said. He said, death used to be an executioner, but now because of Jesus, it is merely a gardener. Before, death was the end. Death was the ultimate enemy. Death was something to be feared because death would destroy you. It would cut you off from that which you love. But now, because Jesus died and resurrected, death is no longer an executioner. Now it's merely a gardener. Rather than destroying you, all it does is plant you in the ground from whence you will one day rise again better and more beautiful than ever before. That's why Paul can declare, death has been swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your sting? It's gone. It used to be an executioner, but because of Jesus, now it's only a gardener. You see, because Romans chapter 4, verse 5 says this, that Jesus Christ was delivered up for your transgressions. He died on the cross for your sins, and he was raised for your justification. Jesus' resurrection from the grave is what makes the gift of eternal life possible because he conquered the enemies of sin and death for you. 
This is why Paul goes on in the same section into the beginning of the next chapter, chapter 5, verse 1 of 2 Corinthians, and he says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, that's our bodies, if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. I love how C.S. Lewis described it. He described the end of this life and the beginning of eternal life like this in his book, The Last Battle. I'll read it to you. He says, the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. For us, this is the end of the story, but for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures had only been but the cover and the title page. And now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Paul mentions to us in verse two of chapter five, he says, in these earthly bodies we groan. You guys know what that's like? You groan. You struggle with pain, frustration, disappointment, sorrows, and grief. And the thing that we long for and desire deep down in our heart of hearts, what we long for is heaven. And Paul tells us there in verse 4 that because Jesus defeated sin and death and he rose from the grave, you can be sure of the promise of eternal life. In verse 5, he says that God has also given us his spirit as a guarantee, as a down payment, that this is true, that he will carry this out. Well, in the, that brings us back to our sentence, because here's the deal. Jesus' resurrection, it means that there is hope beyond the grave. But you know what else it means? It also means that hope, it gives us purpose for our lives today. That hope gives us purpose for our lives today. Because you might say, Hey, eternal life sounds great. And you know what? If it's so great, man, I can't wait for that to happen. In fact, I feel like I just want to do everything I can to speed this process along, man, to get out of this place and get to heaven and eternal life as quickly as I possibly can. So why not? Why not speed it up, right? Why not, you know, stop eating healthy? Why not take up some new hobbies like smoking and not wearing your seatbelt? Why not just, you know, do whatever it takes to speed things up so you can die sooner and get out of here and start enjoying that eternal life as soon as possible? Paul addresses that question in verses 6 through 8. And you know why? Because there were actually people in Christian history, particularly in the early days of Christianity, who were so excited about the promise and the hope of eternal life that they wanted to speed up the process. And you know what they did? Their lives were hard. And some of them, they were facing persecution. And so what they would do is, literally, they would seek out situations where they could put themselves in harm's way. They would pick fights in order to basically get themselves martyred for their faith. And it was considered like the more spiritual you are, the more you will hate your life and want to die, right? Like, so if you're a person who really hates your life and really wants to die, you are the most spiritual person on the block. And Paul says, hang on a second. Don't do that. Don't go there. That, that's not what God wants. Paul says, no, no, no. Hang on. And here's what he says. Here's why. In verses 8 through 10, he says, yes. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. But whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. He says in verse 10, here's why. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 
What Paul is saying is that while the resurrection of Jesus gives us hope beyond the grave, it also gives purpose and meaning and direction to our lives here and now. And Paul reminds us that all of us are going to stand before God one day and give an account for what you did with what he gave you in this life, for what you did with the time and energy, the knowledge and the resources that God has given you. So rather than being in a hurry to get out of this world, God wants you to use the breath in your lungs and the resources in your hands to do his work in the world. And here's why. Because heaven will be great. But you know what else? There are some things that you can only do in this life that you will not be able to do in heaven. Did you know that? There are some things which you will not be able to do in heaven, which you can only do in this life. For example, bringing comfort to the hurting and the suffering. That's something you can only do in this life. There won't be an opportunity to do that in heaven. You know that helping people to know the Lord and move from darkness to light, that's, that's something you can only do. That's only possible in this life. And since Jesus is risen from the grave, eternal life awaits you. That means that your best life is the one that is to come. That's where all of your heart's desires will be fulfilled. And so rather than trying to have your best life now, rather than focusing on yourself and what you want and what you need, the hope of the resurrection, it sets you free. It allows you to take your attention off of yourself and instead, it sets you free to serve others courageously and wholeheartedly and generously. Because if eternal life awaits you, you know what that means? It means you've got nothing to lose and nothing to fear. It means that your life here on earth can have a whole new purpose, a whole new meaning, a whole new direction. And Paul talks about that in verses 14 and 15. Look at what he says. He says, Christ's love compels us since we have concluded this, that one died for all, and then, therefore all died. And look at what he says in verse 15. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but to live for him who for them died and was resurrected. The hope of the resurrection not only helps us to not lose heart in the face of trials and difficulties, it also gives us direction and purpose in our lives here and now. Rather than living for ourselves, it gives us a higher mission, a greater calling to live for him who gave his life for us. Paul tells us, here's why. Because you have become, in Christ, a new creation, a new life. God is working in you, transforming you from the inside out in your life here and now. And that, that new life that he's working, that transformation he's doing is not only for your joy, but is also for a greater purpose. And that greater purpose, he tells us in verse 20, is that you would be his ambassador. You know what an ambassador is? It's a representative. It means that you have been sent out on a mission from God to be his hands and his feet in the world, to show his heart and his love and his grace to others. The hope of the resurrection puts everything in perspective. It means that the trials of this life are temporary. It means that the deepest desires of your heart will be fulfilled. And it means that your life now has a new purpose and a new power in Jesus. And the question is, how do you receive this hope? Well, Jesus made it clear in what he said about the resurrection. I'll read it to you again. He said this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? It means to trust in him. 
It means to put your faith in what he did for you. And I want to invite you to do that today, whether for the first time in your life or for the 500th time in your life. I want to invite you to do that today, to trust in Jesus and what he accomplished for you in his life and death and resurrection. And I want to invite you to give your life to him who gave his life for you. Jesus' resurrection, it means that there is hope beyond the grave, and that gives purpose to our lives today. Amen? Please stand with me, and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this hope of the resurrection, this hope of new life through you, Jesus. Thank you that you gave your life for our sins, and you rose again so that we could have new life and eternal life with you forever. Lord, may this hope of new life, the hope of the resurrection, Lord, may it fill our lives here and now today with new purpose and new power as we walk with you and we go from here today. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.